0: Hey there, welcome to the compare to who show I'm Heather Creekmore, and I'm really glad that you are watching or listening today. We're continuing our series with (laughs) non-diet dietitians, you asked for more, so more is coming your way. And today we're going to go someplace that some of you need to go and maybe didn't even know you needed to go, but I have brought onto the show, Brittany Braswell, Brittany say Hi. Hello everyone. Thank you so much Heather for having me here today. Let me tell everyone a little bit about you, your official bio, and then we'll get the real story straight from you. But Brittany's a registered dietitian and recovery coach. She helps women struggling with disordered eating and negative body image to reduce their anxiety and disordered behavior so that they can confidently restore their health and ditch diet and food rules forever. She emphasizes the importance of replacing negative beliefs with spiritual truth to help her clients discover their God-given identity without their disordered eating. Brittany runs a virtual private practice where she coaches Christian women to help women achieve lasting freedom from the bondage of a diet culture, which if you've been listening to the show the last couple of months, you're realizing that diet culture, bad <laughs> oh, brownies, good diet culture, bad. I don't know. That's oversimplifying <laughs> things. <laughs> but anyway, I'm hoping Brittany that today you can help us Get a handle on all things disordered eating, because I know that I was probably 38 years old before I had any concepts that my issues were some sort of disordered eating because mm. I was just normal. Everyone I knew went on diets. Everyone I knew tried to burn off all the calories they ate every day when they went to the gym. Like everyone I knew was trying the next diet thing. And now over the last like decade, I'm like, oh. Oh my, in fact, I just read the definition of binge eating disorder for the first time, like within the last month since I've been doing this series. And I was like, oh, like everyone I know has binge eating disorder, <laughs> myself included. I didn't even know that. Like, what? <laughs> so I'm hoping today that you're going to help us kind of dissect what is eating disorders? What are, What's disordered eating when there's eating disorders and there's disordered eating people like, you know, separate those two things and all these things. But before we get there, tell us about you. What's your story? Because I found that everyone who works in this field normally has some sort of story around these things. So will you share with us where you're coming from?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like my story is a little bit different than a lot of dietitians in this space. Um, So I love sharing it. My, I would say my nutrition career, or education started off actually with a focus on sports nutrition. And it was really in undergraduate that that piqued my interest. And it wasn't until grad school that I really had the opportunity to to dive into that area. But it was in that time that the Lord was just like revealing, hey, this is a huge area where all this disordered eating is coming up, so many body image issues, so much like crazy behaviors around food. And especially, I don't know if, um, if this would, if this sounds familiar, but especially in the sports where there's like a weight class involved, or there really, maybe there's a lot of subjectivity in the judging based on what your body looks like as you're doing something. Mm -hmm. So like dance, gymnastics, diving, like figure skating, um, wrestling is a major weight class sport, right? And so it happens obviously across the board, but in these areas, it was so, so high And it really piqued my interest because I thought there's got to be something that we can do to really help these athletes not only, you know, perform better, but not sacrifice their bodies and their Mm. mental and physical health in the process. I was intending to fully focus on sports nutrition and as the Lord would have it, his plans are always better than mine. The uh, sports nutrition professor who I thought I was going to be doing my graduate assistantship with. Relocated to another university Mm -hmm. just a few weeks before (laughs) my program started. Um, And I had the amazing opportunity to work with their dietetic internship director. And if you're not familiar with that, this is the, the person who runs essentially the internship for students who are trying to become a dietitian. They already have a nutrition degree and they're doing all this extra practice. And so I love working with students, love working with high school, college students. So it's a huge blessing for me, but it also opened up the door to specifically focus on some disordered eating. I had the opportunity to take an eating disorder class. Um, and just the Lord was like this, like, this is where I want you. Like the reason you had this interest in sports nutrition was I could lead you in this direction. Mm So I, I spent some time studying that and had an opportunity when we moved to Alabama. Um, I spent a few years working at a treatment center for women specifically that had diagnosed eating disorders. So you mentioned like the difference in what's disordered eating versus an eating disorder. And so I'll kind of start with that too, is that, yeah. um, the women there, you have to be to, in order to have a, an eating disorder diagnosed, um, you've got to meet certain criteria according to a particular like mental health manual. Mm-hmm. And so that's usually done. A diagnosis is given by a psychiatrist or a therapist. And so as a dietitian, I would use those diagnoses as a, a general idea of like, what is this you know, person struggling with? And it would really help me um, to, to coach them and provide them some nutrition therapy. But what I learned in that process of working at this treatment center is I had a major issue with control. Mm. <laughs> and, and it wasn't so much for me. It wasn't like I felt so much like I needed to be in control of my food but that was something that came up so much for my clients. And I was like, gosh, I have these issues with control in like all these areas. So I'm in progressive recovery from being a control freak. Uh-huh. So I have these areas that I've given to the Lord that I'm like, okay, God, you got this. Like I'm hands off with me. I'll, I'll do what you tell me. And then there's areas where he's like, Mm-mm, Brittany, you haven't done that today. Like give me that back. You're picking it up. Uh-huh. So, so that's a constant area of growth for me. Um, and so with, sort of the field of eating disorders, as much as I have wanted to pour into my clients, I have to let the Lord pour into me and recognize the areas that could be affecting that process. Part of my my big, I guess, come to Jesus moment with control, if we backtrack to 2017, my husband and I had been married for several years, wanting to start a family. And we had been struggling with infertility. Um, far as we knew, we were both healthy. We could mm-hmm. not figure out like, what's the issue? um and so we had been praying for a baby for a long time we had some amazing small group leaders and they were the only ones that knew like and probably towards the end of our small group time together we're like oh hey by the way uh can you pray for us for this Uh nobody knew we had not told our families um and that was a huge control thing for me because Mm. I was like god I know you're in control of this um but so am I and so Mm. I'm not he had been wanting us I just felt this conviction like I needed to share this struggle with someone else and have someone else really pray over me and pour into me. And I was like, nah, stiff arm. Like that mm-hmm. is uncomfortable. God, I'm not mm-hmm. giving that control to someone else. Yeah. And so kept struggling, kept struggling, no baby. And so we, we get to this new small group and Heather, I'm not a crier, And I'll tell you the first night of this new small group, <laughs> the Lord just like, I was finally like, God, I hate I've, I've got to tell, like, you're, you've been urging me this whole time to tell somebody about this. Here I am with this brand new group of ladies. they are going to think I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. And so I tell them about it and I just like boo-hoo, like ugly cry (laughs) Um, on this first night. So I'm like super vulnerable. I was like, okay, this is not in my control anymore because I did not, if if you've ever struggled with infertility or you know anybody who has, it is so uncomfortable and so painful mm-hmm. to be asked about it. Right. Mm-hmm. To say, Oh, Hey, when are you guys going to have kids? Mm-hmm. And you're like, you can't just be like, well, we're trying, but nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have to be like, no, oh, you know, not yet. Yeah. And so I did not want that happening. I didn't want these ladies coming back, checking on me and saying, mm-hmm. Hey, like, have you been to the doctor? Do you know anything yet? Um, and so, poured my heart out, said, like, I just want to be a mom. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm having this, this moment. And, um, and they like the, when I tell you, like, there was so much peace in that room, Mm -hmm. like that I have never felt before. Like control you, you, there's just this absence of peace when Mm -hmm. you feel like you have to be the one in control. And so let that go. And the, the Lord was like, okay, like they all prayed over me that night and try to make this long story short came back on our like 10th or 11th week of small group and got to bring my sonogram. Mm, And we were, we were like, what, nine, 10, whatever weeks pregnant. And when we went to the um, doctor for our first ultrasound, the, uh, the tech was like, okay, well, you know, based on this, you know, based on the, the photo and the image and everything, this would be the, the estimated you know, gestational age. And we're like, that's not possible. (laughs) Like based on all the things that have to happen, Uh all the things like, we're like, no, we're off by like three weeks, like two, three weeks. Mm -hmm. And they're like, this does not like, this is, this is how long the baby has been growing. Uh But dated back to that night that those ladies prayed over
0: me. Uh Wow.
1: Shouldn't have, shouldn't Uh have, but, but Mm -hmm. it did. He, so, so our, our son who just turned four, is like our little miracle baby. Yeah. And I know he wouldn't have been here if I had tried to maintain control of that thing that the yeah. Lord had been urging me to let go of. Yeah. Um, and so it was really from that point that I feel like God just kind of said, Hey, this, you know, this is such a, a huge issue with so many of the mm-hmm. incredible ladies that you work with. You've got to help them see what's possible when they let go of control of okay. their the way they see their body and the way that they're comparing it, and the way that they're trying to manipulate it with food and movement and all of these other things. Right. Um, and so that's really when it became just this huge passion and I had such a greater level of empathy and I, I got to help them through this. And so, um, so that's kind of where that control yeah. piece, that's sort of my backstory with how, yeah. um, so how I really kind of got into this area a little bit
0: more. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I mean, control is huge. Every single person I talk to about this, I'm always like, Oh, Hey, so are you a little controlling maybe? Or so have you ever struggled with control? And 100% of the time it's a yes. And I mean, I, you know, if this is a super broad stereotype, but I think just women in general, we do tend to have a little bit more of a struggle with that. I mean, there's controlling men mm-hmm. for sure. Like, yes, they yeah. are there. But I just I I find, I don't know, maybe it's just the women in my world because this is the, the world of, of disordered eating and body image and all this stuff. But when there's body image stuff, there's normally control stuff too. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I appreciate you sharing that and Yeah. It's often just that one little, the baby step, right? Because like God is so gracious. He's not going to say, okay, Brittany, you have to give up all your control, like by tomorrow, you know, just like lay it all down and do not control anything anymore. Like God walks with us. Right. And I, even Mm. in the recovery process for disordered eating body image, all the things, it's not like flipping a switch and boom, the next day, oh, now I don't care what I look like anymore. That's so awesome. (laughs) Right. right, and I think that's so often the expectation. Oh, it right? totally is. Yeah. I had someone uh, email me the other day. It was I really appreciated it because she's like, and I'm really trying hard not to expect one talk with you to be my magic pill. <laughs> I was like, I so appreciate that right. because that's <laughs> like because that's the problem, right? People go to a coach and they're like, you're going to be my next magic thing. The diet wasn't a ma- magic thing, but you're going to bring the magic. And I was like, no, 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 no magic let's just work on these things. But yeah. So control is huge. And every time there's a disordered eating problem or an eating disorder, I would dare say it is there, right? Every time it's going to show up in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Okay. So start us with, well, let's just let's start with the basics, right? There's an anorexia and bulimia that everyone's known about, right? But there's mm. new ones. Okay. Yeah. And there's new, there's new ways that that looks, you know, like exercise bulimia. And so can you kind of give us like the landscape, the 2021, 22 landscape of what eating disorders are out there?
1: So, so anorexia and bulimia are two of the ones that I think most people are, are familiar with, um, but there's a lot of nuance in both of those. And so I think a lot of women there's even with anorexia, it's typically a restrictive type struggle, but there is a binge purge subtype of anorexia. Even So there may be a total restriction, but there's some, some other behaviors where you're not, you're not restricted all the time. But still, overall, you're not consuming enough, and so maybe that's kind of like the birds' eye view of that. Um, and bulimia, I think again, it's really easy to stereotype and say there's this consuming a lot, and then you're getting rid of a lot, right, in some way. Um, but I think so many people don't don't realize that maybe you're not doing some of the typical behaviors you might think of that follow a binge, but maybe you're still purging in the sense of you are you you eat a lot, and then you just like I have to go run x number of miles, mm-hmm. right? That is still a means of hey, I'm gonna try to purge this for my body, or maybe they're using other types of substances that are still harming their body with the intention and attempt of getting rid of whatever you just ate. And so I think it's really important, number one, to be open-minded, to just see like, let me just be curious and observe what are my behaviors and what are the intentions behind it? Because there is a realm of, of diagnoses. There's diagnoses that are kind of like an umbrella category for, Hey, you kind of do this and this and this, but you don't meet all of these criteria. So we're going to call it this. And, and really what I really like to let my clients know and encourage them with is yes, those diagnoses can be really helpful to let us, you know, have a general idea about maybe what some of your struggles are. And at the same time, I have numerous clients with the same diagnosis, their behaviors look all Mm. a little bit different. Mm. Right. And so I think it's also really important not to try to latch onto that diagnosis as part of your identity, because that, a lot of control comes from that too. On going, mm. okay, well, if I have this diagnosis, then it's, it's going to affirm to someone else that I am sick enough mm. and that, you know, somebody else needs to also help be in control because maybe, maybe it's a way for them to, to know that, Hey, I I'm sick enough. I do need help. Mm. Um, and so that, you know, obviously can, can vary for everyone. Um, but I think even more important than the diagnosis is just recognizing, Hey, I'm, I'm intentionally withholding something or consuming extra in an attempt to manipulate my body weight or shape or to feel more valuable mm. or worthy.
0: Oh, Hey there. It's the holiday season. I'm so glad you're listening to the compare Do show. I wanted to let you know, I have a brand new reading plan out on the U version app on your phone, grab the app if you don't have the Bible app from YouVersion yet and search for Comparison Free Christmas. Download it now. I think you will love it. Also, if you're Christmas shopping, the burden of better and compared to who, make excellent gifts for any woman in your life you know is struggling with comparison or body image issues. Check them out. I'm wishing you a comparison-free and body image, stress-free Christmas season. So in order to be diagnosed with anorexia, do you have to be super thin?
1: You do not. I love this question. There is also a subtype called atypical anorexia nervosa. And I had so many clients with this as well, where you, you're still very restrictive and there's a lot of specific criteria you meet around that, but you do not have to fall within the quote unquote underweight BMI or meet a certain number on the scale. I have clients all the time who are highly restrictive and meet all the criteria for anorexia, Mm -hmm. but they go, oh, well, I can't have that because, you know, I'm not a toothpick. And that Mm -hmm. is the word I hear so often, or I'm not a stick. Mm -hmm. We've got to get rid of these names. Like don't, you're objectifying yourself and others calling mm-hmm. yourself that. Give yourself some grace because, again, it, it's a struggle. It's not a matter of body size. We've, we've got to come at solving the issue, regardless of whether you feel like you're X number of pounds, underweight or overweight or right. neutral, It's still the same struggle, right?
0: And anybody can struggle with
1: anything at the same size. It's not body size;
0: it's behavior,
1: right? I was talking to a
0: friend. I was talking to a friend yesterday, just about the truth that it's not a fun truth to admit. So I'm I'm like, that's why I'm (laughs) pausing before I say the rest of the sentence. But how often or how easy it is to look at someone who has a significant weight problem Mm -hmm. and think, oh, they have health issues but then look at someone on television who or even in our lives who's really thin And never think Mm -hmm. that they have health issues, even though the, and I'm not even talking just physical health, right? Because I do think Mm -hmm. that the person who's, who's anorexic or, you know, has just really restricted themselves into a really thin body probably does have some physical health issues going on. But I know personally, and from clients I work with, there's a lot of mental stuff going on too. Like this is Mm -hmm. bondage. Significant yes. bondage and the control involved is mm-hmm. bondage, but also just the fear, right? And fear and controller—they're good friends. They're like BFFs. But like yes. The, yes. Uh, the the fear around what's going to happen to me if I gain a little bit of weight or if I eat that thing, which may make me gain weight. Like, like these are significant mental health challenges, mm-hmm. and we often we glamorize we worship quite frankly right the person in the thin mm-hmm. body right like oh I want to be mm-hmm. like you if only I could have you know use this ugly word willpower right if only I yes. could have the willpower <laughs> oh. to be as quote-unquote good as you are around the food and it's like but no like that's not that's not a great <sighs> ach- like oh it's the wrong wrong no. thing wrong thing so
1: yes Yeah. Yeah. It's so, and I I hear this all the time too, as much as people say that oftentimes in a sense of like, Hey, I'm trying to give this person a compliment or I want them to tell me how they did it. It can be so hurtful because if you are struggling with disordered eating in any way to manipulate your body weight, shape, or size, and you're Let's say you have had some weight loss, right? And somebody says, oh, hey, what are you doing? That number one is going to reaffirm to the person who's been struggling, who's been beating their body, who's been withholding that, okay, I'm doing something right. Right. Or, or, hey, like this feels really good. I've got to keep going and it makes it worse. Right. Right. Or, or, um, I have a client, I was having this conversation earlier this week is she was saying, you know, like. The compliments feel good, but it also makes me feel really insecure because if my body weight or shape changes, I'm not right. going to get those anymore. Yep. So they're going to look at me differently. So now I have to maintain this. Right. And so it just, again, right? The, and I, the mental health struggle.
0: Well, and so many of the women that I talked to, and I actually interviewed a girl that was my intern last year girl. I don't know. Woman, young woman. So she was graduating from college. uh, So I was talking to her at 22 and she shared with me her story is an episode, I think from last spring, but she shared with me her story. And that's really what happened kind of just innocently. She got busy and started to lose a little weight because she just wasn't eating as much and was more active, but people started noticing and they pretty much complimented her into an eating disorder because it was Oh, well, boy. Okay. If I could get these, this many compliments being just a little bit thinner. Well, maybe if I started skipping lunch, then I would lose a little bit more weight and then I would get even more compliments. And then maybe more boys would pay attention to me and more people would tell me I looked good. And it's tragic. It's really tragic. And the problem is with what we worship right? Like, oh like it comes, yes. the compliments come out of me because that's what I worship, right? It is. I am hard pressed to be like, Oh, I just appreciate how patient you've been today. Like, and that, <laughs> that's the first thing I'm going to notice about you or I just, I appreciate how kind you are today. Like we don't say those kind of things enough to each other, but it's like, Mm-mm. Oh, Hey, you look really cute. Have you lost a couple pounds? pounds? <laughs> like, so, yes. Oh, it's, Oh, Go ahead. It's so
1: telling. It's so telling. Um, And I love the way you put that because it really is the things that we focus on the most are the things that we notice. That's why too, like when you're struggling with body image, oftentimes you're going to assume like somebody else is going to look at you and see whatever same quote unquote flaws that you're seeing. Right. right? And it's almost never the case, but we get so fixated on whatever we get fixated on. That is what we notice. Like I guarantee if you were listening to this and you're driving in the car and you go, I bet a lot of people drive red cars. You're going to start seeing <laughs> See like all the red 800 cars. red cars while you're driving. <laughs> it's right. so funny. That's exactly yeah, what it's
0: like. My teenage daughter has picked out the car that she wants, and I, like for a while there, that's all we saw. I was like, man, these cars are everywhere. I had no idea everyone <laughs> drove this car. Yeah, <laughs> but yes. yeah, it's so so true. Okay. Well, you didn't mention binge eating disorder. And since I teased that a little bit at the beginning, I was literally stunned when I read the definition of binge eating disorder. And I think I had it pulled up on my screen here, but you probably, you probably know it or what the DSM says it is. It's like overeating within a two hour period of time or something like that is one of them. And I read that and I was like, well, every person I know that's ever done intermittent fasting (laughs) has (laughs) probably (laughs) had that moment, right? Because I sure have, right? And and then, and then it was like eating large amounts of food. And I was like, boy, or eating alone. I'm like, okay, that's like a mom joke, right? Like you're eating your chocolate (laughs) in your bedroom closet. Like, is binge eating disorder like super common or am I just overgeneralizing this technical definition of it? So <laughs> talk to me. Well
1: yes. Well, what I will say is of all of the eating disorder diagnoses, that is the one that I think tends to be most prevalent. And definitely among men, it's higher diagnosed. Okay. And I think the reason it's diagnosed so more so much more often is because from a especially from a from a physician standpoint, if they see someone in a larger body size and they ask them any number of questions without a lot of detail. They don't ask anything about, hey, what was your mindset while you were doing this? Did mm. you feel out of control? Did you have some level of distress? It's gonna go to, oh, you have this diagnosis of, big O word that everybody avoids, obesity, right? And, mm-hmm. and so we're just gonna call it binge eating disorder. Hmm. And so I'm not, like, so many people have it legitimately, and then there's a lot of people that I think maybe get misdiagnosed with it. Okay. Um, but it's very easy, like binge eating, in and of itself can be maybe a disorder eating behavior, right? You may struggle with some binge eating, but you may not necessarily have binge eating disorder. Um, The, I don't have the, all the criteria pulled up in front of me, but the DSM does list those out. And one of the markers is like, it's, you have marked distress, like while it's happening. So like a lot of times you may just feel totally out of control. And if that's something that happens on a pretty regular or consistent basis um, over a specific amount of time, that's kind of where they'll start saying, okay, well, this would qualify as binge eating disorder. Um, but yes, like intermittent fasting. I love that example because I would not consider, yes, you might have a quote unquote binge because it's so subjective when they say a large amount of food, but, I, and, and I kind of hate that definition because it implies comparison, right? A larger amount of food mm. than most people would consume in <laughs> the same amount of Who's time. Who's the most people? Like <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. what? <laughs> Qualify back. like, are you asking these people at Thanksgiving? Right, at right. Like, yes, I like there are times during the day where I will get so busy that I am I'm distracted and I'm out of tune with my hunger and fullness signals. And then I realize, oh my goodness, like, I need to eat some more. And so I will probably so there will be times I will intentionally eat a little past the point of fullness because I know maybe I've under consumed that day. Yeah. And so I might even eat less than or more than what somebody would typically consider a binge. I have clients that will say, oh, well, I binge last night. And then when I say, okay, well, tell me what that looked like. Like, what was your binge? And they may say like two slices of pizza. And -hmm. for them, that felt Mm -hmm. like a binge because it's way more than they would normally do. Right. right? And so it gets really subjective as well. And so you've got to give yourself a little bit of grace, but that's too, Mm -hmm. we're having having a team member, having somebody to talk through those details with and process through to make sure what is your perception? Yeah. binge and is it accurate? Well, so is I it can go back and forth.
0: So is it a binge? If so, I just had um, Megan Hadley on, and we talked about like mm-hmm. what happens when you don't eat all day, and you get yeah. home, and you're like, I eat all the things because I am starving, and your body is just like refuel now. Mm-hmm. Is that a binge?
1: So I would not consider that a binge. Okay, because that is. You, you are very likely not so out of tune with your body, right? Like, you, like Megan even mentioned, like you're noticing, oh my gosh, I've gone so long. Like I have to eat. Like you are recognizing I'm hungry. Now you may eat past the point of fullness, but you're probably not in that state of like distress. And I feel so out of control. Like I'm eating this and I feel like I can't mm-hmm. stop. Like I'm, I have clients that when they kind of have what we would consider more of like a classic textbook kind of binge, they just, they're so uncomfortably full, but they can't stop because they feel mm. like they're trying to feel some need or meet some need mm. with that. And so it makes okay. them feel out of control. Okay. So yes, when you are yeah. just eating a lot because you're so hungry, that is a physiological response. So, okay. That's helpful <laughs> because, it's because yeah. I
0: think. Just because binge is such a common word now, right? Like I binge your podcast. I get that, you know, on Instagram all the time, or I binge Netflix or whatever, because binge basically means like doing a lot in mm-hmm. a short, I don't know, doing a lot all the same time as maybe the yeah. general, like, I, I think a lot of people would use that word. Like I got home and I binged and they would say that mm-hmm. about what happens after they've had a period of restriction, whether intentional or unintentional, that's the word they would use. So I think that's, that's super helpful. So. Okay, so we kind of have the the lay of the lands with eating disorders and what they are. I want to go just quickly, because we're almost to the end of this episode, but just quickly give us a little taste of why it's so hard to get out of these eating disorders. You did something on Instagram that I thought was brilliant. And it was, I think, was it four reasons why we hold on to disordered eating behaviors? That was, was it four? Seven. seven. Yes. Oh, even seven. better. <laughs> seven, God's perfect number. Okay, so we do not have time for all seven, but I want us to go into a second episode. So listen again and you'll get more. So just tease them out. Tell me what the seven are like as briefly as you can. And then the next episode, friends, I'll have Brittany explain what these seven are. I think this is going to be super important because I know a lot of you listening struggle either with full-blown diagnosed ED or some sort of disordered eating. So Brittany, tell me the seven.
1: Yes. So the seven that I see most often reoccurring, like all the time, number one, we already hit on sense of control. Okay. Okay. So these are seven different needs that your disorder eating behaviors could be meeting for you. Oh,
0: okay. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Clarified. So set, yeah. these are seven needs. Your disordered eating behaviors may be meeting for you. What did you say? Clarifying? Yes. You? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And it could be one or more of these. Okay. Um, so sense of control is the first one. That's a really big one. Um, reduced anxiety. Hmm. S- relieving stress. Okay. Um, providing you with a sense of safety or comfort. mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna use kind of air quotes on this solving or attempting to solve a problem. Okay. Number six would be numbing or repressing, kind of shoving down feelings. In mm-hmm. there, uh, I think okay. A lot of people could probably relate to that. <laughs> yep. Sign and me up. This oh. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> already done that. Never mind. <laughs> there you go. And uh, and the seventh one is actually something I see more more commonly than people might realize is taking out anger or using mm. it as like a
0: sense of punishment. Interesting. Okay. That is good stuff, Brittany. And I cannot wait until we dig into all seven of those. It's going to be a great episode. So tune in again next time on the compared to who show. I hope you'll be there. Your time is valuable, so skip straight to the good stuff. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for letting me be a part of your body image and food freedom journey. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen you can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.